0: If you want to support our podcast financially, please visit patreon.com slash IIMBSB. Also email us with questions or ideas at ifimaypodcast at gmail.com.
1: So today is a very special episode. You are going to hear a conversation between me, Justin, and my mom, Rebecca. And we are going to be talking about the ways that we have been intentionally working on our relationship over the last five years or so. And we're going to talk about how we went to therapy together and how we are healing our intergenerational trauma and breaking, breaking a trauma cycle, which is really cool. So you're going to hear a conversation between me and my mom today that Dan is not going to be a part of. So it's only, only girls, no boys allowed. Welcome to If I May Be So Bold, a podcast about relationships.
0: The ones we have with others, the one we have with ourselves.
1: And given that Dan and I are a couple, you're going to be hearing about our relationship too.
0: I'm Dan Epstein, a recording artist, former opera singer, and relational coach.
1: I'm Justin Waring Crane, a therapist, recovering perfectionist, and karaoke star.
0: Okay so, in a second, you're about to you're gonna talk to your mom and sort of process in real time where you are in the in the in this um relationship
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you know there are things I know from being around you that there are things that um you've been aware of for a long time that you haven't like been so satisfied about your connection with her like having um judgments towards her or like uh being triggered by her but not saying anything and kind of like staying in the same pattern Mm -hmm. and you made this decision to not do that anymore Mm -hmm. so how does that feel
1: it feels good I think I resisted making the decision for a long time the decision being okay do I want to Work on this relationship? Do I want to show up in this relationship in a real way? I really resisted making that decision because I could sense that my mom wanted to be closer, but I was still so mad at her and hurt by her that I just did not want to give her that. So if I were to show up authentically or you know, let her know that something was bothering me, I would be at risk of maybe, uh-oh, deepening the relationship in a way that I didn't want. So I really have been resisting. Um, yeah, resisting showing up authentically in the relationship. And I don't, it's not even, maybe I reached a breaking point and decided mm-hmm. now I want to, I'm ready to work on this or I'm ready to stop punishing her, ready to stop withholding love from her. Um, Yeah. Maybe I just kind of burned out on that and was like not getting a lot out of our interactions because I was not bringing my whole self to them. So they were like pseudo interactions and they were a lot of like check-ins or like catch-ups, like what's going on with you? What's going on with you? And it's like, it stayed very superficial. And I was like, Ugh, this is sucks. It's staying so superficial. Meanwhile, I was like doing everything in my power to keep it superficial. So yeah. So yeah, now I'm, I feel, I feel good making this decision to deepen the relationship. And I even had a moment where I was like, oh, like I kind of want to text my mom about something where like before we had this conversation, like, Sometimes I'll send her a link to something that I think she would be into or that I'm really excited about, but it's pretty rare. I'll usually, you know, send those things to my friends, but not to her because then again, it's like, oh, this could spark a conversation and she might take this and run with it and,
2: Mm. you know, Mm -hmm.
1: think that I want to be closer or, you know, want to have a conversation with me about it that I don't want to have. So yeah. So, but the other day I like listened to a great podcast episode and I, I felt like sending it to her. And I was, as I sent it, I was like, Oh, that's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> I just had that thought. I was like, well, oh, that's kind of nice. Mm. You know, like, I think now it's like starting to put into practice, like yeah. the, it's like, I've said the things that I want to say to her. And now we're moving into more of a, not that, Not that it's like, first you say the things you need to say, then you move into the practice phase. No, it's just, you know, I don't, I wasn't able to know how I felt about deepening the relationship till I actually started doing that. And now we're,
0: yeah we're happening. It's happening. Till you were explicit about actually where you were with her and like with the relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't. She do. had no
1: idea that I was feeling this way because I wasn't revealing mm-hmm. that I was feeling this way. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking it would be really cool for you and I to do an episode just the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, about you know how we are working on our relationship and you know how we're approaching that and you know the 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 intergenerational trauma that we are up against but that we we were able to identify what it was and then we're taking steps to break the cycle okay cool i think um it would be, it would be helpful to start with, you know, tell me people who don't know you tell, tell me about, um, your, what your life was like growing up. I know it's, that's pretty broad, but just a little bit, a snapshot of, you know, the family that you grew up in the, the world or the community around you, growing up and, and what that was. Yeah. And what that was like for you. In the community.
3: I'm glad you're mentioning that. I'll make sure I touch on it. I was born the third child and my brothers were seven and nine years old when I came along. So the story that I, I sometimes tell myself, not very generously is my mom was good at being a mom. So once you have two school-age children, what's your identity? Again, this is my story. In, you know, looking back, so uh, I was told yes, we very much wanted you. And then two years later, my sister was born. So two boys, two girls. My parents worked for a Christian church organization in Beirut, Lebanon, where my sister was born. I was born a year they were on furlough, and then grew up in this. Close knit church and educational community in Beirut for the first six years of my life. So I knew all the people in my world pretty much. They were students in the dorm. We lived in a dormitory apartment. My father was the dean of men. And I felt very safe, even if I didn't feel important or seen because I was a small child, because I was a girl after two boys. The boys were pretty golden in the way it was conveyed, like, this is what you should do when the boys were your age. This is how it worked. And very traditional roles for my parents. So I observed my mother as a full-time mom and homemaker. So the gender roles were very clear. My father worked outside of the house during the day. He would come back for a meal. Things were organized around his needs and his schedule because he was the breadwinner in the family. And I found out later in my life, there must have been some kind of implied agreement between my parents that my father would, they're both parents, of course, but my father would spend time with the boys, the sons, who he taught to play soccer, football, soccer. And then when we moved back to the States, we moved to the States, neither of my parents are from here, they went and learned to play golf together. So they had a lot of. Physical activity that was considered play and male bonding time. And he also worked on cars with them. My dad was a p- very handy, kind of mechanically inclined person. And the understanding, I believe, when I talked to my dad later after my mom passed was that he thought she was doing similar things with me and my sister, but she mm. wasn't. Mm. She wasn't. Um, we moved when I was six first to Bakersfield, California. Then we ended up, oh, it was a terrible year. It was a dreadful year for everybody. And then we moved to Maryland and I did first grade again because the move was so traumatizing. Oh
1: I my did gosh. Not learn so that is really, that is really interesting because I also did first grade, not quite maybe twice, but definitely like one and a half times.
3: Mm -hmm. so I
1: didn't realize that you you also had that
3: I don't think about that I'm pretty sure when you were doing it it seemed like oh this is a doable thing we need to watch her learning style yeah you were traumatized by public school when you went to school yeah remember your teacher screaming and oh so scary yeah yeah So I I moved with the family, of course, because I'm a child without power (laughs) and did first grade again, again, we're in an educational church-based community where I know so many people, you know, I'm doing internal family systems work with my therapist and good girl is one of my parts. Good girl really wants to become compliant really wants to live up to expectations. And that's because when I was small, that was a really common frame or phrase. We even said our nightly prayers, help me to be a good girly. (laughs) Wow.
1: (laughs) Wow. So you didn't really, you know, so you're seeing your brother's, um, being sort of favored by one or maybe both of your parents um, and going off and spending a lot of quality time with your dad and doing outdoorsy sporty type things, fun things. And then the assumption was, you know, your dad had the assumption that when you and your sister were, you know, at home or wherever you were with your mom that you guys were doing, you know, whatever girls do to have fun, but that was not the reality. So what, what was the reality? No, it
3: wasn't. My mom was very task oriented and my heart breaks in so many ways when I think about this. Her worth was so tied up with her work and her ability to do things well. She was absolutely a perfectionist. And she spent a lot of time doing things properly. Then she would occasionally let herself sit down and rest, read a book maybe, but she would apologize. She'd fall over herself saying, oh, I'm being so lazy. Rarely did I see her sitting still just to catch her breath or enjoy herself. Usually she was mending or folding the laundry. There, mm-hmm. there was something to be done. And mm-hmm. my sister and I, she, oh, so her not guilty pleasure but she loved to sew and she was a Mm -hmm. wonderful seamstress Mm -hmm. she would make a little place in the house often it was in a closet where she would have all of her sewing things set up and she would spend hours meticulously Mm -hmm. constructing clothes from often bargain bin fabrics beautifully made but often fabrics that I couldn't really stand wearing like double knit Mm -hmm. polyester and orange and white Mm-hmm. It's a pantsuit because that was a thing. So it's an almost mm-hmm. dress with matching pants underneath it.
1: Mm-hmm. Nineteen seventy. Let's all go how, back how, Yeah, how old were you at that at that point?
3: So I would have been the pantsuit. Mm, actually, this is more like 72, 73, I think second or third grade. And I tried to be brave and say, "I bet you can't guess where I got where I got this outfit." Of course, I didn't want to say my mom made it. You said that at school. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Trying to be, you know, put a like, mm, a uh-huh. cool face on this really <laughs> not cool outfit. <laughs> so I would have been That's nine, funny. maybe, or 10, because remember, first grade, I'm seven. Mm-hmm. Second grade, I'm eight. Third mm-hmm.
1: grade, I'm nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nine year old, I think, when that I said that. Mm-hmm. So, so your mom is slaving away, making these, you know, tearing things up if it's not right, redoing it spending hours and hours to make these garments that you absolutely don't want to wear. <laughs> and it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter like what you thought of them, right? It wasn't about, oh, no. do you like this? It's about, right. don't you know how hard I worked on this and, you know, you're going to wear it and, you know, it wasn't about like, do you like it? And do you want to put it on? Like there was none of that, right? Not a lot.
3: Put it on. Yeah. Oh, don't you look nice? right <laughs> yeah <laughs> how do you yeah. feel no we didn't talk yeah. about feelings or do you like this or not like this do you yeah. have an opinion as a child
1: yes yeah. so that s- went on so mm-hmm. let's talk about that so why do you think that was and you know where do you think that that came from for for both of your parents when
3: you're in a large family or by the same token in my dad's or a violent family, I don't know how much time and attention is given to how people feel. It's just not high on the list. And besides that, who even knew? Who had the tools? How many people would say, I'm recognizing this feeling? Feelings were acted out or they
1: were shoved down. Right. You displayed them or you judged them. They were out of control or they were completely pushed down. Hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they really didn't have any model for they didn't. for that. They didn't. Yeah. And it took me a
3: lot of therapy to forgive them, not for not looking, mm-hmm. for not mm-hmm. wanting to grow, or for them, church was the answer for so many things. Yeah. And that also added a layer of this religious expectation that you'd have your shit together in the holy sense. I mean, of course.
1: <laughs> Religion was such a huge part of your life growing mm-hmm. up and into adulthood. And, and then, you know, it became a big part of my life up into, up until about, I guess, middle school, high school, in the sense of like going to church and being part of like a church community even though you know the the impact of religion followed me and still follows me So okay let's fast forward because our listeners know if they listen to the episode that you did with dad, they know how you met dad, got married, moved to Sudan. So let's fast forward to, um, you know, as you're becoming a parent, you're, <clears throat> you have me when you're how old? 28. I had you in April. 29. I with you. I, Turned 29 the month after you were born. Okay. So you're 20. You have me when you're 28, almost 29. And then two years later, you had my brother, Graham. Graham. And, and so like what, you know, did you always know that you wanted to be a parent? Was it not even something that you considered because you're like, yeah, this is just what people do. And this is what I'm going to do. I know that you were... Dad says that you were really good with kids. Um and that he was really attracted to that. <laughs> and yeah. you <laughs> well,
3: I, Yeah, so with the two older brothers, they got married and had kids. So he met me when our family already had four grandchildren. Each of my brothers had at least two children by the time we met. Mm-hmm. So he saw me interacting with them and you're right, I didn't give it a lot of thought. I thought of course I want to have children. Actually, when he started talking seriously, I said, let's have, let's have four. He said, well, now, well, now,
1: <laughs>
3: said, why don't we try for two and see how it goes? <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I think this is interesting. Like you, you said, let's try for four, you know, maybe using your own family as a model. Mm-hmm. And at Absolutely. this, at this point in your life, you were very the the picture of your family that you had in mind was very different than it is now like at that point you will tell me about you know how did you view your family at that time so are we looking at
3: ken and the kids my family at that time or so your no family of family
1: of origin family of origin
3: family of origin at that time very supportive and caring there were the people that I would hang out with on family vacation when we had time off in the summer. We would make the trip from Michigan to drive all day down to be with them in South Central Pennsylvania. And it was like a big sleepover party with you and your cousins.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember that so well. And, um, I also just remember too, like the stress of getting to church in the morning. And it was like, (laughs) you had to be at church at like fucking 8 a.m. or something. It was like, it was really, really early. And uh, I just remember like that it was like such like a mad dash. Like we would wake up, you know, me and my, my girl, like my two girl cousins who I was closest to in age who are twins. We would all be getting ready for church. And, you know, it's like the expectation is that you get dressed up and you make yourself look a certain way. Mm-hmm. in order to present yourself at church. Um, but then it's like we would <laughs> we would be given a lot of flack for like, you guys are taking too long to get ready. You know, it's like so it was like this double bind of like, well, we're not supposed to take too long to to make ourselves presentable, but we also need to look a certain way. It was just understood that we had to like look how get our appearance to a certain level to Oof. I'm so gonna that memory. I
3: didn't know, but it absolutely resonates and makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of like people like, you know, I, I'm i not going to name any names, but like people in the family sort of rolling their eyes of like, you know, like the, the girls are like holding us up and it's like, so, you know, frivolous or whatever that they have to like put on their makeup or like put on their clothes. But it's like, that was also the expectation. So, I mean, that kind of brings us to, you know, I, as I'm developing consciousness and like Mm -hmm. getting, you know, growing up in this church community, like I absolutely got a lot out of it too. I think namely, um, you know, my love of music and I was exposed to a lot of music, you know, you know, even several times a week, it's like church was not just once a week hun. church was <laughs> five times a week. It felt like, you know, like, cause three, like three nights a week, you know, you have maybe, maybe I'm really exaggerating. Maybe it was just once a week where you had those, those, you know, Bible studies essentially that we would go to or would, you know, be at our house Right. It was was once a week. It was just once a week. But yeah. Felt like, yeah, it felt like three times a week. Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) so we had, you know, a weekly Bible study that was, we would go to a friend's house in the church community, or we would host it at our house. And those were, those were really fun times because as a kid, you pretty much just got to play like, yeah, you had to sit through like a boring you know, lesson that you never got anything out of or like didn't really pay attention to. But then like, then it was all about just like playing with the other kids and like people would like one house, like had a trampoline and we loved going on the trampoline. And and so it it ended up just being like, yeah, like social, a lot of socializing. But yeah, I think then as I got older, I was, and you know this, I was just really struggling to to figure out like what I wanted and like who, who I really was because I just felt this like, you know, inner split happening where I felt like in order to be accepted in the church community, I needed to act a certain way and dress a certain way and, you know, be pure and, um, and it was, and, and not do drugs or drink. And it was like, you know, very at odds with how I was feeling internally. Like, you know, I want to have a full range of human experience and I want to just get to feel like I have freedom to explore, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. things for myself. And, um, I can only imagine
3: how hard it was for you watching me because I Mm. was pretty rigid. Yeah. And that was that, that would read as not attractive and scary whether you named it or not.
1: Yeah, and I and I just remember that I didn't want to fight with you about it because that seemed too risky or just it just seemed too scary like I th- I was feeling like if I reveal to my parents that I want to have sex or I want to you know try alcohol like it's going to be this whole fight and maybe you know, they're going to disown me or, you know, kick me out of the house. You know, I didn't know. So mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, those are scary thoughts. Right. <laughs> Which, yeah. So I was like, I just better play it safe and pretend that I am being a good girl. And, and then, you know, uh, but then go about doing all those things anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so then there's that, you know, just that inner that inner, um, uh, split that happened. So sure you're in conflict. Yeah. And I just, I remember the times that I did kind of push back or fight with you. It, you know, I absolutely hated it and it just didn't, you know, it was like, okay, now I realize why I've been avoiding this and And I'm just going to go back to (laughs) uh, avoiding the conflict at all costs, um, and just kind of on the surface pretending like everything's cool. Um, So that kind of set a precedent for me of just like pretend everything's fine, even if you don't feel that way towards your parents, and then like you can at least have a little peace because there there won't be any like you know any fighting. Um <laughs> that's mm-hmm. going on, so so, yeah, but I remember when it comes to drugs, I remember that um it was very, very scary for you when Graham was growing weed in his closet, and it was so, mm-hmm. I think really terrifying for you, oh, yeah, and um, could you talk about? that experience a little bit. And, and I want to just compare notes with you because I, you know, I have really specific memories around this time Mm -hmm. and I want to hear like how you remember that and how you make sense of that now. I
3: don't know that we can ever make sense of it because it was such a a mind fuck for me to think that something illegal was happening here under my own roof. And it went in so many different directions. One of them was I'm responsible for what's happening in this house, Ken and I, and we could get into a lot of shit. So it was very selfish of, oh no, this is against the law and we're supposed to be the adults on duty here. But it was also, oh my gosh, who is this child? Yeah. So finding out that this is happening, I'm sitting in his old room now. This is my studio. Right. Yeah. And I am looking at the closet where he somehow snuck in all this stuff, including a grow lamp. And he was growing this weed in his closet. And I just, oh, wow. (laughs) It felt like such a shock, like a smack. Mm -hmm. You think this is your house? Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. (laughs) Think again. (laughs) Um, Um, It was tough. And it was, I think there was so much happening because I was too close to it. I had no sense of perspective. I didn't have a place where I could go to say, this is a rite of passage or part of what happens. And we've raised him really well. He'll probably be fine on the other side. Most people who do this stuff, try it and then move on. When we told one of your dad's um, colleagues about it, I mean, it, it just took me down at the knees, Justin. I was I was teaching college level writing at the time and I could barely get out of bed in the morning I was Mm -hmm. so so shook up I was just Mm -hmm. shredded by this I felt like I had just been handed a shit sandwich and I had to eat the whole thing Mm -hmm. and I'd get up I'd go to work I'd go through the motions and I'd come home and I would just collapse Mm -hmm. I found it so emotionally overwhelming I totally Mm -hmm. binge watched what was the thing on jack Martin, and I was just like, "Leave me alone! I'm going away to this little village." You it. had to escape the first of my life. I binged anything. Oh wow! <laughs> totally escaping mommy's, reality. Mommy's
1: first binge.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and there was other stuff going on with him. He and one yeah. of the neighbors got into trouble, and then one of the school friend moms contacted me and said, "Oh, by the way, our son's phone is on our our." Account and they're exchanging texts, and this is what it says. We thought you should know. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just such a shitstorm at that time. Yeah. Barely making it through the day, just feeling like, what's going to happen? My son is so precious and he's going down this track. And of course, I just catastrophized it. It wasn't yeah. just this is a possible one time thing. Sure he's going to drop out of school. He's going to become an addict. He's going to be dealing drugs. He's going to have, you know, Mark's vein and right. veins. You know, I went to the S degree. This is way before mm. therapy mm-hmm. this is way before perspective. Right. I was a mess. I can't even imagine what it was like for you to watch mm. me. to live through it.
1: Well, I remember that, um, you told me this after the fact, um, this, so this was like a hindsight, uh, reflection for you, but, um, you said that you like had this memory of like going into your closet and like banging against the wall or like you were like mm-hmm. crying or like wanting to scream. And mm-hmm. I don't remember if you were like banging against the wall or if you were like I don't know. I, I just remember yeah. you said you were in the closet and you like had this moment where you were like, something's not right.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe yeah, I, mean, I was yeah. banging
3: my head against the wall, literally. I was in so much pain. I wanted to shift it from my, my emotional sensory pain to physical pain. I was just banging my forehead on the closet wall. Yeah. And yeah, all of a sudden I'm like, this, this is not tenable. This is, this is no way to live. You were
1: hitting a point that was so extreme that you were like, oh, uh oh, like something, something's really not right.
3: Yeah. Yeah, The colleague we told about it, she chuckled. And I almost, like, what? I had to do a double take. Mm. And she said, Graham's going to be fine, Rebecca. This is just some, now mind you, she is a single professional academic woman. Yeah. Who knows Graham? Yeah. And I actually felt comforted by her laughter. It was a moment That's nice. of gaining a little bit of perspective, a little bit of distance.
1: Yeah, totally. Because it just can feel so all consuming, I imagine. And just like, it narrows your, it narrows your perspective so drastically. Then it's just like even telling one other person and seeing their reaction and being like, huh, that's weird. Like they're not they didn't fall to the floor, you know, wailing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. And they didn't tisk tisk or shake their head or like, Oh, it sucks to be you. No. Right. He had faith in Graham. That's how I read that. And I, I snapped out of it enough to say, well, damn, why don't I have faith in Graham?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. my, the memory that stands out the most to me about that time was, I don't know if you remember this, but I was a new driver at that time. And I think we were driving back from Santa Barbara or somewhere. And it was just you, me and dad in the car. Okay. And while we're in the car, I think you're next to me in the front seat or in the passenger seat. I'm driving. We're on the freeway. I'm already like on edge because the freeway is scary. It's California. I'm a new driver. It's just, it feels like I'm going to die every time I pull onto the freeway. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> and um, you get a call from maybe like a school group. Cause Graham was on like a school trip or something. And it was like the teacher who was like chaperoning and was revealing like, we found like a weed pipe or something, you know, Graham was caught with like weed paraphernalia or weed or something of that sort. And Mm -hmm. I just remember you completely melted down. I remember you like, you were like, I don't know what you said, but you were probably like, "Uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Thank you. Click, hang up the phone. And then you're like, fuck, you know, you're like, shit. Like you start like, banging on the dashboard oh, you you know, as hard you as you, you can. And I just like freaked out. I think I just like, I, I would never have done this had I not been, you know, m- had I not been stressed out because I was just mm-hmm. trying always to keep my emotions like so in check, um, mm-hmm. and not cause any kind of conflict with you or dad, but I just lost it. And I was like, fuck. You know, I started yelling, like trying to yell louder than you to like drown you out. And I was just like, shut the fuck up or something. And to me, that was like the craziest thing I'd ever done, you know? And I I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe I did that. And then we drive home the rest of the way, like in complete silence. So it was like, oh, you poor girl. Oh. <laughs> so I, oh. I didn't really feel like, I don't really remember in the moment if I was like, wow, that I should never have done that. Or that was so bad. But it was, it was just like this, this taste of conflict where I was like, okay, I lost control. And then it was kind of like silence, you know? So on the one hand, it was sort of like, yeah, it wasn't like this big, it didn't turn into this big. Showdown or this big fight, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, it was just like complete silence, which is which is also scary because it's like, hello, like what's going on? Where do I stand? You know, it's you're not I'm not getting anything back. But um that's like I really have
3: no memory of your being the driver. I vaguely remember the call and losing it. Yeah. And then I think I must have just put that into such a deep box. Totally
1: it was
3: traumatizing so much shame shame in that moment for me as a parent to have this stranger and basically yeah graham was chaperoned the rest of the trip 24 7 until they got him back to riverside i think he was only in san diego i don't think it was very far away yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it was was a pretty fucked up year (laughs) Mm -hmm
1: yeah, I think really stressful. I think really stressful for all of us. And we all had different ways of, of dealing with it. Yeah. So anyway, so I think like, you know, growing up, with the, the influence of the church, which was filtered through you and dad, um, it just then, you know, you and I, and, you know, dad and I as well, like we weren't really able to have a deep relationship because I wasn't really, you know, letting you in on my life because my, the way that, you know, I grew up and. It what it resulted in was me not really being able to have that deep of a connection with you guys, because I wasn't really showing you who I was, or I wasn't able to really be authentic with you guys. I didn't feel like I was able you to. You had to
3: protect. You had to self-protect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and so, I think that sort of started to shift though, you know, after you had maybe been in therapy for a while. And and you you sort of you started to make it clear that it was, you know, that you were okay with uh with the way that I was living. You know, you were you were, you know, coming around on things like, you know, my sexuality and you were you were not like condemning if I was drinking, you know it was like it was just like yeah like that's that's fine and you were it was just started to feel more safe to be you know just kind of free and easy around you so so that's really a huge shift because i don't think that I don't think you were able to well you tell me, do you feel like you were ever able to be yourself, around your your mom. I was very
3: guarded with my mom, and I picked up something from her that was a I, words are still a little bit hard to find, but I'll do the best I can. There was this deep longing, almost desperation that I felt around her to be liked, to be seen as the fun parent. And the one you wanted to spend time with, not like she was competing with my dad. She just really, it was so important to be liked. This is not a surprise. I value that. I get it. But that desperation was a little off-putting because it felt so vulnerable. And at the same time, I protected myself because my mother was not emotionally reliable. Sometimes I knew she was dying for a confidence and I wouldn't say too much because she might then become distressed. Oh no, you didn't say that. You didn't do that. You're not trying this. Or she would talk with my dad and he was never emotionally safe. So he would bring back some judgment. She may not initially, but she would pass it on. So I, I definitely held back and I wouldn't reveal the whole truth of what was going on with me. I would tell her things, but I wouldn't tell her everything. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not that you have
3: to, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause it would upset, it might upset her or she would tell your dad about it. And then he would come back to you with judgment.
3: Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. often the phrase was after all we've done for you. Wow. Oh boy. That would just knock the wind out of me. I felt like I'd been taken down at the knees. Now as a parent myself, I think, wait, I signed on for this. I'm doing this because I chose to be a parent, not because right. I'm trying to manipulate or win over or right. earn some kind of loyalty from my mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that that's what that, that felt so manipulative, but I couldn't have said, Oh, this feels manipulative. I just mm-hmm. knew. Sure. "Oh." I am a big ass disappointment.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, so it's so hard to sum this up because I feel like we've, um, there's been a, like a lot of different phases of, you know, of our relationship and, and it's just continuing to evolve. But recently um, I decided I wanted to join you in a therapy session with your therapist. And that was a big step because I felt ready to talk to you about, you know, ways in which I felt like I was still holding back in the relationship and not really wanting to open up to you all that much, not seeking support from you um, because I didn't want to deepen the relationship and partly didn't want to deepen it because I wanted to kind of punish you for, you know, things I was mad at you for things I was hurt by. And so deciding to tell you all that thing, all those things within the context of a therapy session with your therapist, um, that was, you know, that's a big step for our relationship and. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool that we can, that we can do that and that you're willing to do that. And I think it's, well, thank you for being
3: so brave because even in the session, you said, mom, you sent me an email, you made a request to talk once a week and the easy way out would have been to say, sure. And then you were honest and said, I feel this resistance. I want to want it. And maybe we can explore that. I was so honored and scared and grateful and surprised by just the simplicity of the way you handled it and saying, could you please set up an appointment together? So thank you for making the initiative, taking the initiative, because if you had just said sure, we would never have. Yeah. Right.
1: And I, and I think I played that out in my head. I was like, okay, I could say yes. And then it's going to mean we talk once a week, but I don't even really like talking because, you know, the way that our conversations go just don't feel like all that fun for me. Meanwhile, it's because largely because I'm not really sharing very much. It's just kind of keeping it, I'm kind of keeping it superficial. So I was like, well, wait a minute, this isn't very fair to say that you (laughs) don't want this (laughs) because it's not fun when you're the one who's making it not fun. Um, (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I just, I just had that, you know, that moment with, with myself where I was like, it doesn't have to be like this. And it also feels nice, I think, to to be working towards a relationship together that feels more friendly. And, um, and like I like had the impulse the other day to send you an episode of a podcast that I liked. And, you know, I don't do that. I I wasn't finding myself before we had our therapy session. I wasn't finding myself wanting to, to share things like that with you. I would, you know, share them Mm with, with Dan or share them with a friend. Um, because I was, I didn't want it to be seen as like this opening of like, let's deepen the relationship or like, let's talk about this. You know, I think I was yeah. Avoiding, avoiding that. So, um, it felt nice the other day to be like, to think about like, Oh, like I want to send this to mom. And I was like, huh. That's kind of nice. Like, <laughs> just that like nice. <laughs> that's kind of nice to like have that. And, and so, yeah, it just feels good to be now starting to like put into practice, you know, taking steps into, into this new relationship and, and then seeing what that feels like. It's, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah.
3: it is, it is feeling like a new relationship. I also feel like those first steps, started a while ago when you hosted the family book group and included me in that process so mm-hmm. I don't know maybe that was a testing ground at some level to see what it's like or you've taken the lead in initiating relationship growth and development not just with me but with other members of our family and I I just I have so much admiration and respect for that so thank
1: you It's our show. Thanks for joining us. Our music is by Nightlight. We self-produce this podcast, so please subscribe, rate and review. It really helps.